Aloha, I'm Ash. Aloha, I'm Matt. We are the Yoga Couple. Welcome to another episode of the Inner Work Podcast. Today's all about health, wellness, vitality, and how to lose weight. People ask us questions a lot on social media. You know, what do you guys is exercise or what do you what do you eat how do you guys stay so healthy or you know like asking questions about what are we doing externally to maintain our health whatever externally we try to give people to help change their life or their health there's ultimately a massive missing dynamic and that is the inner work you have to combine the inner work with whatever external prescription that you're giving to a patient or to someone and that really changes everything. So in a lot of ways, like, for example, when people ask us how we eat or what we do for exercise, yeah, we can give you like some asana or some plant-based tips and things like that. But ultimately, what it always comes down to is, okay, but what is your narrative? What is your narrative for your health? How do you view your body? How do you view your life? What's your stress levels like? What's your, uh, what are your habitual thoughts like? What's your theme of consciousness you know, these things actually turn into so much more when you look at how connected they are to our body. And today, our guest really draws connection to our thoughts, feelings, and emotions and how that ties into our health and wellness. And even if we're trying to really embark on an epic new diet or a new strategy for exercise, whatever it is, if we don't do the inner work in conjunction with it, it's not going to be permanent. Right. Like it's really easy to make a temporary change. And a lot of people will find that as soon as you do try a new exercise routine or you go onto a new diet plan, you do see results. But ultimately, majority of the time, what ends up happening is those rules get broken and that progress just reverts right back. And what Carly Pollock has figured out and written about in her new book, Feed Your Soul, she has discovered with her clients that really long-term transformation and change and seeing those results in weight loss has to do with lifestyle choice. It has to do with inner work. It has to do with feeding your soul, not just feeding your body. So when we got this book, we were so excited to just read through the pages and see all of her expert knowledge that has to do in, obviously, nutrition and wellness. I mean, she's got a master's degree in holistic nutrition, and here she is saying I've, you know, gone to school for this. I've seen endless clients and the results do not stick unless you do the inner work. And it was really encouraging to just read this book. And even in my own journey to wanting to make more healthy choices in my life, just feeling really encouraged that I'm on the right path. And if I continue to cultivate that self-discipline and use the strategies that she has in her book that I'm well on my way to maintaining the weight that I feel is most healthy for my body type, not just some um, goal that's far off that I have to adhere to a diet or a workout regimen to get to. And, And that's just so overwhelming to me. That's probably why I've never stuck to any of those things. It's probably why I've never really gotten into Uh, any crazy diet plans because it just it it seems really overwhelming so our guest today carly pollock is the author of feed your soul she's the founder of nutritional wisdom thriving private practice based in austin texas as ash said she's a certified clinical nutritionist 
um, with a degree in holistic nutrition, which is amazing. A master's degree in holistic nutrition. Absolutely. And then here's something really cool about Carly. She's been awarded best nutritionist in Austin five years running. Wow. Go Carly. And has helped over 10,000 people achieve their health and happiness goals. If you are interested in losing weight, if you've just felt like everything you've tried hasn't worked, if you're tired of doing diet plans and trying to neck the new workout craze and you're just like, I none of this is working out for me and you're feeling like something's gotta change and you're ready, this book is for you. We're gonna bring her on right now and she's about to lay down some epic value and wisdom that you can apply into your life and see results. Yes, her book is absolutely amazing, you guys. And we're so excited to get to interview her right now. Let's bring her on. Carly, welcome to the show. Also, we wanna remind you that there's only four spots left to the Inner Work Soul Renewal Retreat right here on Big Island, Hawaii. Spots are filling up fast, so if you've been considering coming, just go ahead and send us an email to info at theyogacouple.com or send us a message on any of our social media channels. We'd be happy to answer. If you're ready to book your spot, just head over to theyogacouple.com and put your deposit down for only $500. We do have payment plans available, and the full payment for the retreat isn't due till May 1st. We hope to see you here on Big Island, Hawaii for our very first inner work retreat, June 1st through June 8th. All right, Carly, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. We've really been enjoying reading your book. It's super entertaining, which is something that you don't really come by often when you're reading diet and health books. I really found that I've been laughing out loud and enjoying reading it every day. Thank you. Yeah, it's really funny. My um, my mother-in-law was letting my husband's nephew read a few pages, and I was thinking, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> not for young children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are some salacious stories in there not to be read by anyone younger than 20. <laughs> right. Well, to start it off right away, is, can you tell us the story of how you came to write Feed Your Soul? Yeah, you know, I think the story goes way back, which is when I was first struggling with my weight, which is for most people and was for myself when I went through puberty. I was a very anxious young kid and all all self-imposed. My parents were, did not know what to do with me, quite frankly, and I found food as a release to comfort myself. And then when I went through puberty, my body really changed. And not only did I start to gain weight, but my sense of body image was um, really prevalent at the time. I liked boys, so that was the first time that it was kind of like, oh, what do other people think of what my body looks like? And is this acceptable? And I find that most women have that experience at some point in their lives when they realize that um, that culture's showing us that we should decide our enoughness through the eyes of others. And that has so much to do, especially for women, through their body image. And and that created a obsessive relationship with food and on and off dieting and really led me to start studying and doing what I do today. And then it was, you know, a few years into the practice and people kept saying to me, you know, you should really write a book. This is, this hasn't been said before. 
And that's when that whisper started to come, which all authors have this kind of whisper of like, ooh, this would be really good in a book, or this would be this chapter. And at the beginning, I just tried to shake it off because I felt like in the nutrition world, just too many books have been written, too much has been said. I didn't want to be another diet book on the shelf. And then I realized that what I have to say really isn't a diet book, that it is a book that teaches people how to get into the mental state so that they can achieve anything they want for their health and honestly for their life, even outside of food and weight loss. And that's really how it started. Yeah, that's, I mean, that really sums it up so nicely too, because I did notice so much of it was all about the internal and to kind of affirm what you just said, it is very different than any health or diet book I've ever read. And I have a history in um, studying naturopathic medicine. And so I found it just like amazing and like, yes, like this is exactly what we need to hear. Like there's so much inner work that goes along with changing your health and with changing it. So, I mean, it was incredible read and really really brought in so much that needs to be said when it comes to dieting and when it comes to, you know, really changing your nutrition and your health. So, I mean, I'm so glad you wrote this book. Yeah, the world really <laughs> needs it, especially just to top it oh, off. Thank like, you. Yeah. And, I, you know, I wanted to be clear uh, that I'm not anti-diet because you've got, you've got so many voices on the platform right now. You have the voices that are hey, do the Whole30 cleanse or go vegan for this amount of time. And it's very behavior modification obsessed and diet obsessed. And then you have the knee-jerk reaction to that, which is, hey, anti-diet, diets do not work. You have to just accept and love yourself where you are and, you know, free yourself from the food prison of dieting. And while so much of that message I love and I'm impressed with, that's not the end of the story either because there's too many delicious, not good for you foods <laughs> that if we don't have some loving boundaries around food, then we're, we can't possibly reach the level of health that we want to reach, which is like the ultimate health and vitality. And so I'm not anti-diet. Uh, I'm pro-diet. I'm just, because I feel like everybody needs to be on a diet. Everybody needs to have you know, everybody's body is going to say, hey, this food, this particular food causes digestive upset or gluten doesn't make me feel good or sugar, some sort of boundary around sugar. But if you do it without looking at the spiritual path of it all, without the mental tools, that's when dieting is utter chaos. That's when it doesn't make any sense and when it doesn't work. But if you could find a way, which is what I taught, you know, teach people in this book, to release the power of diets and release the power that we give to food and say, you know what, my body is asking for this. I am going to get to the place where I don't feel restricted on a diet, where this is just something I do and I feel empowered by and it's a lifestyle for me. That is the best case scenario and truly the best of both worlds. Mm. Absolutely. I felt really encouraged reading the book because, you know, it's really intimidating to think about like how you're going to create this plan of losing weight and going on a diet. It just seems really 
overwhelming. Like you have to climb this giant mountain and you took this totally different approach, which we of course appreciate being the inner work podcast where you say Mm -hmm. doing the inner work is the most important piece of weight loss. Could you explain that to our listeners? Because it's revolutionary. I feel like doing the inner work is the most important piece of anything we do on the outside. And our culture places zero importance on inner work. I think that some people, but you know, even listening to this, even though this is called the inner work podcast, they would say, well, what is that? I mean, I don't even know what inner work is. And so what I mean by that is looking at what is driving all of our outer behaviors. And so if we look at the outer work as the way we behave and the way that things you know, come to reality, manifest into reality. The inner work is what drives that, which is ultimately our thoughts, our stories, our beliefs, Mm. the inner mental narrative, that incessant narrative that's going 100 miles per hour all day long for people, so much so, and they're so identified with it, they honestly don't even know that it's happening. What I like to do is, I like to pretend, and I learned this from Michael Singer in his book, The Untethered Soul, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Us too. And he, <laughs> oh, love it. Uh, that uh, he says, picture this person outside of you. And, you know, uh, meaning that your inner narrative, picture it as an actual physical entity. So this person sitting next to you, doing all the talking, doing all the incessant singing, and you would think that this person is a maniac. <laughs> right. I mean, my, my mind right now has been singing that damn shallow song for the last two weeks. And I wake up at three in the morning <laughs> to pee and my mind's going, sha-la-la-la-la-la. And it's just it's <laughs> so funny to me to witness it. And that's the same voice that's telling you, um, you know, it, it's too much work to diet. You've... You have so far to go. How do you even start? You're so confused by all the misinformation out there. So, you know, might as well do nothing. Or how about we start Monday? It's all of those thoughts that truly need to be healed. That's the inner work before you expect to see a consistent behavior that produces permanent results. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I love the point you had in the book, too, that we think uh, 65,000 thoughts a day. Is that am I quoting that correct? Yeah, and that 90% of them, that scientists found that 90% of them are negative. And, you know, it sounds like such a crazy amount, but... Everybody listening to that, at first they go, holy crap. And then there's a pause and you go, yeah, I can see. <laughs> how, is, how is that many? Because when you're in the shower, I mean, I must have a thousand thoughts just in a five-minute shower. Right. And, you know, um, learning to label your thinking is so important. I have a 10-month-old baby, and it's been so interesting for me that since I've had the baby, my catastrophe thinking has just been wildly out of control. And I think that that's the same anytime you are about to embark on anything where there's an unknown, whether it's about to fly on a trip where you don't exactly know the itinerary or to enter a marriage or having a baby. And I have really had to do some inner work to label my thinking and I like to label it catastrophe thinking. So my so my mind will have a thought that it passes 
by me to say, hey, oh, what if this horrible thing happens? And then my higher self comes through and says, that is just catastrophe thinking. That hasn't happened yet. What do you want to happen? How do you want it to be? Mm, And that's the power of asking really high-quality questions like, what is the best-case scenario for my weight loss? So when people think about dieting and and immediately their catastrophe thinking comes in and they think about the struggle, they think about the failure, they think about yet another thing that they do and don't complete, just pause in that moment and think to yourself, what would be the best-case scenario? What would just, you know, be such a gift? And then start to visualize that. And that is the first time that you take control over the voice in your head as it relates to your health. Mm, Yeah. And speaking of just changing that inner narrative and and moving it more in a positive direction, we both really appreciate that you totally brought in concepts of the law of attraction into this conversation around dieting and losing weight. Could you tell us more? What, what does it mean? Food karma? You talk about that in the book and how can we use that? Yeah, I love how I make up all of this stuff. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and food that was because I've made it up because somebody has to make make it up. So <laughs> I made up the term food karma because, you know, we think about karma by definition is, you know, what goes around comes around or, you know, the law of attraction is like like attracts like. And I realized that food has energy just like everything vibrates a impulse, an energetic um, frequency or a vibration, and that the foods that are alive, that rot and spoil the quickest, which are your healthiest foods, your vegetable, your produce, is going. your avocado is going to rot before your very eyes. You know, those healthy foods that rot very quickly, they have the highest energy, and the foods that are processed and fried and laden with sugar and trans fats and, and chemicals and preservatives... They have the lowest amount of energy. We call them dead foods. They don't have any mm-hmm. life force to them anymore, and that's why they're able to sit on the shelf for so long. And that the energy you feel as an emotional human being is attracting those foods. And I tell the story of, you know, no woman ever sits on her couch PMSing and in a horrible mood and calls up a friend and says, I know what we should do. Let's go eat kale salad. That just sounds... <laughs> so fantastic to me. It's like, no, we want brownies. We want french fries because we're not feeling well. But notice when you leave a yoga class or after you meditate or, you know, when when you are an energetic vibration that's really high, you crave healthy foods and are almost repulsed. Like, I've never left a yoga class feeling really grounded and said, okay, I want to go through the drive-thru and grab fast mm. food. Right. I'm almost repulsed by it, but there have been times in my life where I'm feeling exhausted, frustrated, depleted, and a commercial comes on, and I know it's disgusting, and I know it's not real food, but I have to tell you, it, it looks good to me. Yep, exactly. 
Yeah, I, I relate to that. Food karma. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I relate to that a lot because I find, you know, as as we're living and finding that balance in life, it's definitely the times where I'm not feeling good in myself that I revert yes. to wanting junk food. It's like, it's just like the self-pity or yeah, even sometimes when I'm premenstrual and I didn't do a good job of taking care of myself throughout my cycle that I yep. am just craving crappy food to like match my crappy inner world it's like totally and true the, and that then becomes a gift because those food cravings instead of us feeling cursed by them i then say oh thank you okay this is bringing me back to awareness that i have some inner emotional work to do to change my story so i can feel better so that i can crave better foods and you know i am human just like all of us and I still crave crap and I still, you know, stay up too late at night sometimes instead of pushing through resistance and putting myself to bed. And it is those, you know, moments that when I'm craving something unhealthy, I say, okay, what is it that my body truly needs and and desires? And I know it's not the food. That's really, um, it's something else. It's sleep. It's a nap. It's self-care. It's quiet time. It's my feet in the, in the, you know, on the bare ground in nature. But that is one of the biggest illusions that the mind tells us is it tells us that, around food at least, it tells us that eating this food will make me feel better. And that is a lie. Eating this food will numb me for the moment and give me the illusion of not feeling bad. Mm. And then after I've eaten it, because the feeling from food is so ephemeral, and it, it doesn't last, we need more and more of it to feel good. That's why you eat crap. You don't eat crap on a Monday night and go, oh, I'm good till Sunday. You know, like the next, even a few hours later, you go back into the kitchen for some more. But it's that, um, it's that, really, it's that it's numbing us. And after the the numbing has worn off, we now have two problems instead of one. The first problem <laughs> right. we originally had, we still have, because food doesn't, you know, solve world hunger and, and solve, and, and, uh, well, actually, it does solve world hunger, <laughs> but it <laughs> solve the world problem. But um, we actually now have the original problem and a secondary problem, which is now we're unwell in our bodies, or now we have a weight problem, right. or now we have a gut problem and so some of the things one of the tools that I tell myself that's really helpful for me is um I'll say to myself hey Carly do you want two problems or do you want one because one sounds a lot easier for me to find a solution for and that is just kind of a funny way that I remind myself that food isn't fixing anything for me Mm, awesome and and I want to kind of bring back something you mentioned earlier, uh, food prison. And I wanted to say there was a, a quote kind of all on the same topic. It was uh, the quote from the book is, as we begin to uncover our negative thoughts and shift them, we realize that boundaries around food create body freedom, not food prison. So kind of as you were just saying this, um, you know, we want to shift our thoughts and that will change our food karma, shall we say. Um, can you elaborate more on this concept of creating body freedom and not food prison? Yeah, I think that um, people at the lower level of understanding would place the idea of food freedom or would define food freedom as 
I can eat whatever I want. So I have freedom because I don't have a diet. Woohoo! You know, bring it on. I'm free to eat whatever it is I feel like at the moment. And that is really a um, low-level way of looking at food freedom. That type of food freedom creates body prison because ultimately if Mm. we eat whatever we want, you know, unhealthy foods are engineered to be addictive. So if we're eating whatever we want, let's be honest, we're eating sugar and we're eating fried foods and things that we know cause cancer and make us sick. The more enlightened, deeper understanding of food freedom is to say, you know what, I am free to eat these foods, but I choose not to, or I choose to eat them in a um, in an amount and frequency that doesn't affect my health and vitality, and that that is ultimate body freedom. And so from the outside, it might look like I have a, a lot of rules around food. You know, people, the, the times that I have felt most free in my body People might say, oh, wow, you don't eat dairy, you don't eat gluten, you don't eat soy. Oh, wow, there's all these foods that you don't eat. But to me, I feel so empowered by the loving boundaries and I feel so free in my body that I want people to start to wrap their minds around true food freedom, really meaning body freedom. Because with body freedom you have real freedom to live the life that you deserve to live. Absolutely. Yes. We have a saying, Ash and I say, self-discipline is actually the highest form of freedom. Yeah. Which which you say in the book, which we were like, like literally like reading the book, you know, at separate times and just being like, hey, did you see that part in the book where she says, where you say the, the opposite of fear is love and the opposite of willpower is discipline. And we were just like, you yes. know, head exploded. So could you tell <laughs> us more about that? And it's funny. I have, um, uh, there's this uh, very famous, well-known Navy, ex-Navy SEAL named Jocko Willink. And he always says discipline equals freedom. And I have the words discipline equals freedom uh, on my computer screen, because I look at that more than I look at anything else. And it's just a reminder to me that discipline, the mind wants to create this illusion that discipline feels like restriction. And I want to remind myself that discipline leads to a deeper freedom than any other thing in life. And so what I mean by uh, willpower coming from a place of fear and discipline coming from a place of love is that, and you know, we typically use those words synonymously, and I feel like they couldn't be further from each other. Willpower comes from a place of fear. It looks like this oh, I really want this food, but if I eat it, my genes won't fit me, or my diabetes will get out of hand, or uh, my stomach will hurt. Oh, so I won't eat it. And and we wind up not eating the food. So on the surface, it looks like we've prevailed. But the energy behind it, it just feels negative. We feel frustrated. We're kind of pissed off at ourselves in the world. And then four days later, we binge eat a box of gluten-free crackers. And we try to validate it that it's okay because it's gluten-free. And then, you know, discipline comes from a place of love and empowerment. So discipline looks like this. I love this food, this food food tastes amazing, but I love myself more. So I'm going to go with 
what I feel is the best for my body. I'm not going to sacrifice what I want most for what I want right at this moment. And when you make those decisions on the outside, okay, so you don't eat the food, so it looks exactly the same as when you use willpower. But on the inside, it just feels so different. It feels empowering. It feels like, again, you're using this muscle of discipline, and then after you feel so good about it, there's no knee-jerk reaction days later where you're eating something, you know, something else as a pendulum swing from the time that you used all the willpower you had mm-hmm. uh, possible to avoid the Mexican, you know, restaurant. Ugh, it's 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 like the difference between true power and using force. Like when I think about willpower, I'm like that's like forceful. Like you're like forcing mm-hmm. yourself, and then like true power, like you said, is like coming from this like inner space of discipline. And, and love and appreciation. Love and for appreciation. Yourself. And in our in our real lives too, it's the same thing. It's like it's the difference between every creating healthy habits in every area of our lives and turning it into a lifestyle versus following a rule because it's the rule and like, you know, and you're afraid to break the rule, but you don't really have a true understanding of how it might hurt you. You're just you're just following a rule and and willfully forcing yourself to to comply. And that I kind yes. of think about that in the in the diet realm so well too. Said, so well said. Yeah, and you know, I don't want people to think that discipline always feels great in that way that it feels empowering. Moving through it feels that way, but at the beginning, my trigger for me understanding that I need to use discipline, that trigger never feels good. That trigger is always uncomfortable because you could say that when you're using discipline, you're doing something that in the moment the mind has convinced you you don't want to do. The way that we are wired is our survival mind is wired for us to seek short-term pleasure and avoid immediate pain. And the reason why we're wired that way is because back in the day when, when food, shelter, and water really was you know, what we needed to survive and we weren't guaranteed that, we were, uh, you know, avoiding short-term pain and seeking short-term pleasure really did keep us alive. We didn't put our hand in the fire. We made plans to have an exit strategy if the bear started chasing us. You know, we had, uh, we avoided opportunities that would affect our survival. But now as we've evolved, we're lucky that most of us don't have to think about shelter, food, and water. So what's happened is we're, we're basically working with a really outdated computer system, and that's the analogy that I like to give. Is think about your mind as you working on the very first Macintosh. How frustrating would that be <laughs> if we had a computer from, you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago or however long it was, and we're trying to send emails on it? <laughs> And that's really what we're doing with this mind of ours. And so we need to rewire the mind to where we're seeking long-term pleasure in all things because that creates a lifestyle where we're receiving this massive reward. And so if, if the way we our default is, is that if I think about when my alarm goes off in the morning and I've set it the night before to get up so I have time to do my meditation practice, my yoga practice, or, or to go you know, do a workout, 
at the moment that alarm goes off, I associate pain to that because my bed is comfortable and warm and and I don't want to get out of bed. We've all been there. And so my mind goes, ooh, it would be painful to get up and skip that workout and really pleasurable to stay in bed. And that's true. And so you start to feel that discomfort in the moment. And then I know, okay, I need to use discipline because long term, if I sleep in, when I do wake up and rush out of the house, that doesn't feel good. That's long-term discomfort. Mm-hmm. And the days and weeks that follow when I can't stay consistent on the exercise routine and then I'm not proud of my energy levels or my fitness or my physical body, that's more long-term pain. So discipline in the beginning, you might be triggered by that uncomfortable emotion of, ooh, something feels like I want to take the easy route, the short-term pleasure of it. And that's when you have to change your stories and start to look at the outcome of what this will create, a.k.a. the long-term pleasure, and then push through that resistance with that feeling of love and empowerment and power instead of that fear-based force. Mm, Absolutely. And I wanted to kind of, on that note, add, um, you know, you, you talk a lot about manifesting and before we attempt to achieve anything, we must begin by having extreme clarity about the outcome we want to create and kind of just going right along with what you were just saying. Could you elaborate on that that step that you uh, really focus on being essential? You know, that's so essential for us to focus on the outcome first. We tend to jump into things without knowing the outcome. And let's be honest, the process of doing anything in life that is incredibly worth it is hard. does require some sort of push through pain or discomfort. I mean, think about it. Show me one thing that doesn't create a beautiful, deep, magnificent life that doesn't have with it some sort of pain involved. The process of what we do can be quite painful, whether it's the process of driving in traffic to that workout or, you know, I know because I just had a baby, what about the process of being pregnant and and giving birth so that you have this outcome, which is you're growing this family and then you have this, you know, these beautiful experiences. Mm. Same thing for losing weight. I mean, I have to food shop, meal plan, get into the kitchen, wash dishes, you know, uh, it's, it's a constant, never-ending cycle. Then you make that food and you eat it, and three days later you go, crap, I need to do this again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that process, when people focus on that and they don't have clarity about the outcome, they're going to get lost in it. Therefore, their behaviors will be inconsistent and they won't create permanent change. And, you know, I've lost and gained over... 300 pounds in my life. It was the same 20 pounds back and forth and back and forth. It's like, I'm not interested in weight loss. I'm interested in making permanent change. And I know to do that, you have to get super clear on your outcome and keep your focus and attention there because that's where all that rich, long-term pleasure lies for you. And then you're able to get through the process because of where your focus is. Yeah, understanding your why and really honing in on your why is so, so important. Um, One of my favorite parts in in the book is your discussion on stress management and kind of, you know, what stress has to do with our, our weight goals. And 
in the book, you said you really dislike the term stress management. What is the alternative to stress management? I'm going out on a limb here because I know that a lot of people, when they hear me say that my preference instead of stress management is stress elimination, that they would say, you know, well, good luck to you and everybody has stress and isn't some stress good for you. I'd like to clarify that there's a difference between being very busy and being stressed. Anytime you feel stressed, there's fear behind that. Stress is really just a code word for fear. There's no way to be stressed about something without having fear of the projection of whatever you think is going to be the negative consequence of what's happening. So, you know, to be busy, to be pushed in that way is positive. But to be stressed and to be into in fear is unnecessary, and I don't think we just need to manage it. I believe that there are tools we can use to eliminate it. Awesome. Super awesome. I agree with that. I agree with that so much. Such a helpful. We have a whole chapter in the book about it. I mean, all of the tools that I use to eliminate stress are in the book. And, and you know, what I use now when I'm triggered, I have the... I call it human response because it's just kind of like the egoic mind response. I have the human response, which is to be triggered into stress. And then my higher self comes through and says, okay, here is this smorgasbord of tools. Which one would you like to use? And I pick a few of them. I use them. And then I get back out of stress and back to a place of feeling grounded and peaceful and, and aware and present. And then, Maybe even five minutes later, if it's something very important to me, I might be triggered again and I go back into stress and I have that human response. And then my higher self comes through again and says, wait a second, we just talked about this. Let me, let me review for you. Here are your tools. And sometimes when it's something really big, like a loved one is sick or a job change is happening or there's a massive unknown throwing us into a world of stress, you might be triggered 20 times a day to go into stress, but the tools are there for you that you can pull yourself back out of it and maintain that peace, calm center so that your plate can be a reflection of your inner state. A peaceful state is going to create a healthy plate. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's your book, Feed Your Soul, is like a life strategy to me more than it is like a weight loss diet plan. It is like a full on happy life strategy. So, and then I feel like the the outcome is the health in your body, the weight that you always desired by following this beautiful life strategy that you've laid out. It's, for me, health is defined so differently than what a typical nutritionist, you know, would define as like, I think a typical nutritionist would define health as you're maintaining a normal body weight, your heart, you know, your blood work looks normal, your cholesterol numbers are within range, your skin is clear, they might go as far as looking at holistic health, your, your gut microbiome is balanced, your brain is functioning, and that is one aspect of physical health. But what about emotional, emotional, mental, spiritual health? I don't care what your blood work looks like. If you're sitting there eating a salad, you look fantastic in a bathing suit, and you're depressed, to me, that's not a healthy individual. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so in whatever 
people are using Feed Your Soul for, whether it's weight loss, it's health, vitality, what are the non-negotiables? You, you do say no matter what your rules you're coming up with ca- that cater to your specific individual body, what are the non-negotiables that everyone needs to ultimately adhere to? I think I have about five non-negotiables in the book. Do I need to go back and <laughs> reread my book? Yes, probably. I think there are five non-negotiables of self-care. And for me, that's one is cooking. You have to cook your own food. There's just no way around it. You cannot rely on a restaurant to provide you the healthiest possible option. You have to exercise. We need to move our bodies. We need the right amount of sleep, not only the right amount, but sleeping within certain windows that help our bodies heal and regenerate. We need meditation. Anybody who has a mind needs meditation. And so that's everybody. And then we, um, and then we need silence, which is number five. We need to be able to connect with nature. We need to put our phones down. We need to get rid of all of this external trigger and pull that distracts us and really go within so that we can do that in our work. Amazing. It's so revolutionary. You are probably the first like weight loss book ever to just hit home on meditation and silence being an important key in weight loss. It's freaking amazing. I love it so much. I know people don't, people don't connect it. They go, wait, what does that have to do with not eating a bag of chips? And in my mind, I'm like, it everything. Has everything to do with not eating a bag of chips. Because, uh, you know, if I am a clear channel, because I've done all of this work, then my body can speak to me so much more clearly. And as much as my mind wants to convince me that I want the chips, my body doesn't want something like that. My body wants healthy foods that are alive, that, that carry energy and, and, and vibrance you know, life force from my body. That's all my body wants. My mind is the one that wants the cookies and the brownies. And I do want to say that there is a place for those things. I am not a purist in that way. I love junk food just like the rest of us. And we had brownies last night. It's about balance. Anything that's too rigid breaks. But People tend to go overboard in one way or another. They go on a very strict diet and then they go on a huge binge. What about having a day where you have a green juice and you've meditated and you do a little bit of yoga and you also have a brownie, but your but your dinner was this beautiful, well prepared, alive, you know, rich for you food. That is balance. And then I'm not gonna go today and eat three more brownies. So I don't want the message for people to to feel like, oh, well, if I just got grounded, I would never want those foods. It's about not giving power to those foods. So when you're grounded, you could look at a brownie for what it is. Hey, I can have this small brownie, really enjoy the flavor, and indulge in food as one of life's indulgences, but I'm not overindulging in one thing or another to make up for some spiritual, emotional emptiness I might be feeling because I'm not doing inner work. Exactly. What would you say for our listeners is the most important thing that someone should do if they really want to lose weight? What do they need to know? Well, buy the book. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's so much more in there than I could say. I think the very first step 
would be to get clear on what it is you want and to paint a picture of what your life would look like when you have the thing, you know, those things. And to ask yourself these questions and to write this down on a piece of paper and answer through writing, not just contemplation, Mm -hmm. but what will become available to you when you manifest that reality of your ultimate health? What is, what if you, what does that cost if you don't do this? So if you never get to that place where you're at peace with your body, like what you see in the mirror, or feel the energy levels that you want to feel, what's that cost for you? And answering those two questions will get you crystal clear on what you want. And then from there, you can work out the rest of the logistics, which is what to eat, how to move for your specific body, whether you need to be low-carb, high-carb, gluten-free. All of those things are detailed and will work itself out once you get clear. Amazing. And, and I say work itself out, and I don't want people to go, well, wait, how is it going to work itself out? I don't mean to sound like, no, buy the book, but I do dedicate, you know, two full chapters into figuring out your body's language so that you can figure out whether, you know, you need to be gluten-free. Your body's language, your body speaks to you through symptoms or lack thereof. So if you eat a sandwich and after you feel tired, you're sitting at your desk zoning out, you're craving more carbohydrates, you feel bloated, you're not pooping every day, that's language from your body, hey, gluten may not be right for you. And then you go off of it for 10 days and notice what your body says then. The lack of symptoms, feeling more of a flat stomach, more energy, sleeping better, your skin looks better. You go, okay, I'm starting to understand what Cardi said about listening to my body. And so I put people through a, um, you know, series of inquiry to get you on what I feel like would be your unique medicine and the right diet for you. But there is a general baseline of how I feel anyone should eat despite gender, age, symptoms, activity level. And that's what I was talking about before with eating unprocessed, fresh foods that rot and spoil. And think about if people just did that. And even if their ratio of protein, carbon, fat wasn't perfect, and even if they were eating a little bit of gluten and their body's gluten intolerant, the truth is, is if we practice conscious eating and we didn't overeat, and the majority of foods that we did eat were unprocessed and alive, 90% of the population would need to look no further than that to reach a level of health that's beyond what they ever dreamed possible. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes to all of that. Well, they definitely need to, uh, for our listeners, check out Feed Your Soul. This book is absolutely incredible, especially if you are wanting to make a change in your health and just overall upgrade your life, honestly, because there is just so much more information beyond just, you know, a typical, it is, this is not your typical diet book. This is a complete lifestyle. Life transformation. Just life upgrade. And so for you, Carly, our last question for our listeners, because they're totally going to go get your book. <laughs> what do you hope they will take away from your book, Feed Your Soul? I hope that at the very least, what they take away is a understanding and empathy for themselves as to why what they've done in the past has not created permanent change. And that they can let go of all of the judgment and failures and really start with a blank slate to say, okay, now I have this deep inner 
guidance and these tools to do the work from the inside out. This is new and fresh. I'm going to start this from a fresh slate. At the very least, and at the very most, I hope that they take away the tools to transform their lives so completely that they are quite literally a different person after reading it. Amazing. I, th- I think that's completely possible. Yeah, I feel that way. <laughs> I'm reading your book and, and I, you know, I've been wanting to make some shifts in, in my life personally uh, regarding just exercise and diet and feeling a little better in my body. And I consider myself a, a pretty, you know, overall healthy person. And just reading your book really re-inspired me. And I am totally in. I feel super empowered after reading your book. And it's it's really like I'm just gonna say it's like no bullshit. Like it there's it's not this like follow this diet, you have to do this many push-ups, you have to do it's so simple and anyone can do it. And I truly believe in the results that come that comes from the strategies you're sharing. So thank you for you know, listening to your heart and following your dharma and putting this out into the world because so many people are going to benefit and everybody, you know, has access to to this health and this this vitality that you speak of. Um, where can our listeners find you and where can they buy your book? Thank you so much for that. They can buy the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Bound, um, so all online uh, or at your local Barnes & Noble. And they can find me at carlypollock.com. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, but heading over to the website is the best bet, signing up for my weekly emails, checking out the online courses we provide is a great place to start. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Carly. We really enjoyed speaking with you. Yes, thank you so much, Thank you so much for having me. To find out more about Carly Pollock, you can click any of the links in the description on this podcast or head over to our Instagram account where we have her book on our Instagram stories. 